I'll ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of Matthew, the very first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter number 6, and we're going to read the first four verses of Matthew chapter number 6, and uh, these will form the basis for our uh, thoughts this morning. Matthew chapter number 6, notice verses 1 through 4. Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret. And thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. The title of the message this morning, and I'll explain this as we move into the introduction of the, of the sermon, the title of the message is, Don't Be a Turkey Person. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time we could be in your house today. We rejoice in you. We thank you. Lord, for the sacrifice of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, this morning we are right with you only by the blood sacrifice of Jesus. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that in time you led us by your Holy Spirit uh, to understand our lost condition and to plead for mercy and to uh, come and, and, and look to you for the only sacrifice for sin that could be made. And That is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we lift up Jesus this morning, and we bow the knee to Jesus both physically and spiritually. Lord, I pray that today as we focus on this topic and the words of Jesus as He continued the Sermon on the Mount, Lord, may we do what we do in service to You and in service to our fellow man out of right motives. May we, Lord, honor You and glorify You And, uh, Lord, may we be a people that are marked by good works, but that are marked by good works that do these good works for the right reasons and the right purposes. Lord, we pray that you'd have your will today. Accomplish what you desire. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Don't be a turkey person. Now, I borrowed the title of the message from a man by the name of Bill Courtney. Bill Courtney was a high school football coach at Manassas High School in inner city Memphis, Tennessee. Bill came to the school in the midst of a record-setting losing streak. The school had lost every game for a certain number of years. And as Bill arrived and took over his duties, he subsequently would turn Manassas High School into one of the best football teams in Memphis, Tennessee. He actually, and you can watch this documentary, I believe it's available for renting on uh, Amazon Prime, he subsequently won an Academy Award for a documentary about the team entitled Undefeated. Now, here's how he coined this phrase, don't be a turkey person. Half of the student-athletes responded to Coach Courtney and his coaching. Their game improved on the field. They got better as a team. And 
half of the students' grades actually improved. But the other half would not warm up to him. And so one day, Coach Courtney asked one of the star players why this was the case. And I'm going to read you a quote from Bill Courtney. It begins, and this is the student's response to Coach Courtney. You're the type of guy that's a turkey person. I said, what's a turkey person? He said, Coach, every Thanksgiving and Christmas, people from your side of the tracks show up in minivans and suburbans and drop off turkeys and presents and all sorts of stuff. And we take them because we need them. And they seem to be nice people, but they leave and we never see them again. It makes you wonder after a while if those people are doing this because they care about us or if they're doing this so they can go tell everybody what nice things they did on Christmas and Thanksgiving. So they're just wondering what you're talking about at night, coach. Wow. Those words can hit us like a ton of bricks. And they should cause us and force us to evaluate whether or not we're involved in serving and why we are involved in serving. If I could say today, maybe you want to ask yourself, am I a turkey person? Now our text in Matthew chapter number 6 is smack in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And it is on point. And I believe it epitomizes what Coach Courtney is really talking about. Jesus is really saying this. Do acts of service, but do them for the right reason. We do well to contemplate this passage of Scripture this morning in hopes of preventing us from becoming a turkey person. In fact, in our time together this morning, I would like us to see three contemplations, three contemplations to prevent us from becoming a turkey person. The first contemplation, and of course when we talk about a contemplation, we're talking about something that should hold our mind and cause us to look at deeply and seriously. The first contemplation is our involvement in the act of service. Our involvement in the act of service. The second contemplation is the inducement to the act of service. And then the third contemplation, illumination on the act of service. These are three contemplations that I think will help prevent us from being or becoming a turkey person. Don't be a turkey person. The first contemplation we see is the involvement in the act of service. We should be involved in the act of service. We should be involved in serving God. We should be involved in serving others. Now, as we delve into what Jesus said and Matthew writes here in Matthew chapter number 6, we begin 
by pointing out that we must ascertain what the act of service is. We must ascertain what the act of service is. What is Jesus teaching on in these verses? Well, notice in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, the Lord says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men. Jesus is talking about alms. And this is a word that we don't use much today. And I'm just going to tell you right now that in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1-4, through 4, the Lord is not talking about tithes. He's talking about alms. The Greek word for alms literally means compassionateness, mercy, pity, especially as exhibited in giving alms. It is charity. It is a donation to the poor. Is this not what this young man was talking to Coach Courtney about? People were, in essence, giving alms. They were giving turkeys and presents and things like that. Jesus is talking about this act of service of alms. And so we consider the immediate context. The immediate context. He's talking about alms. Webster's 1828 Dictionary defines alms as anything given gratuitously to relieve the poor as money, food, or clothing, otherwise called charity. And so, when we're talking about the act of service and ascertaining what the act of service is, the immediate context is related to giving to those that have need to be given to. That's the immediate context. (coughs) But I want us to consider this from a broader perspective. And I want us, as we think about ascertaining what the act of service is, I want us to think about the instruction that we get from Scripture as to our overall Christian conduct. If there is anything that should describe our Christian conduct, it is acts of service. A-C-T-S. Acts of service. Not just alms. That's the immediate context of what the Lord is speaking about. But he's dealing with a larger subject, and that deals with the acts of service. Now, what do we call in Christian circles, and I believe it's biblical and scriptural, what do we call acts of service? Good works. We call them good works. We're talking this morning about preventing ourselves from becoming a turkey person. And we look at this first contemplation. It is involvement in the act of service. Jesus is teaching that we ought to be involved in the act of service. If you're here this morning, and and I were to ask you, and I, I would say to you, I'm not going to, by the way, but if I were to say to you, now I'd like you to stand up and give a word of testimony about the things that you're doing for others and for God. What would you say? Would you be able to expound on what it is that you're doing for your fellow man? What you're doing for God? Because if you can't, you might well examine your life and find out what the focus of your life is. Jesus is referring to here in the immediate context, alms giving to the poor, but as it relates to instruction to our overall Christian conduct, we're talking about good works. What am I saying this morning? We ought to be involved in good works. Now we, and I've said this before, we as 
independent fundamental Baptists that believe in the sovereignty of God, we steer away oftentimes from the topic of good works because we don't want people to think that we're saved by our good works. But we must treat the whole Word of God and the whole counsel of God properly and appropriately and we can't leave anything out. And we're going to discover, and you already know this, that we are saved by the grace of God not by doing good works, but we are saved by the grace of God in order to do good works. That's the purpose for which we are saved. And so you look at Coach Courtney and all those people that took gifts and turkeys and food and things like that, they ought to have done that. They should have done that. You and I should do things like that. But why do we do it? We're going to talk about that. We're now dealing with this first contemplation, involvement in the act of service, and we're talking about ascertaining what the act of service is in the immediate context. It's almsgiving, but of course, as it relates to instruction or overall Christian conduct, it refers to good works. Now, having ascertained what the act of service is, we make the second point as it relates to being involved in the act of service, and that's this. It is assumed. It is assumed that we would be involved in acts of service. We don't assume much, do we? In fact, assuming can get us into problems and difficulties. But do you know, biblically speaking, there are some things that we should be able to assume. There are some things that God and the Lord Jesus Christ assumes. Jesus is teaching here not primarily that we should be involved in acts of service. But he is teaching how we should be involved in acts of service. In fact, Jesus assumes that we would be involved in acts of service. Now watch watch the wording here. In verse number 1, Jesus says, Take heed that ye do not your alms before men. He didn't say, now take heed to make sure that you perform alms. He assumes that you'll be performing alms. He says, take heed that ye do not your alms before men. And then notice in verse number 2, Therefore, when thou doest thine alms. He's assuming that we would be involved in these acts of service. And then notice uh, uh, thirdly here, in in, in verse number 3, he says, But when thou doest alms. Do you know that there is an assumption made that we would be involved in the act of service? Your pastor should be able to assume that you are living a life that is characterized by good works or acts of service. You should assume that your pastor is involved in living a life of good works or acts of service. And beloved, I'm talking about your entire life. I'm talking about not just how it relates to your family, but I'm talking about your vocation, what you do for a living. I'm talking about in your neighborhood. I'm talking about with people that you've never met that you would be involved in acts of service or good works. Brother Spurgeon, you know, it's rare that I preach a message where I don't quote Spurgeon just because he touches my heart. Spurgeon wrote this in his commentary on the book of Matthew as it relates to these verses. Spurgeon wrote, Our king sets men right as to almsgiving. It is taken for granted that we give to the poor. How could we be in Christ's kingdom if we did not? Does that convict you this morning? Now, we could have a whole message on the process of giving to the poor. 
and who the poor are. Okay, that's not the intent this morning. The intent is that we are. It is assumed that we are involved in acts of service. Now, it is assumed by the Lord here in Matthew chapter number six, and we've already read you those references that show you that. But it is assumed as well as we consider scriptural examples. Scriptural examples, and I just mentioned a few out of the book of Acts, just for time's sake this morning. Listen to this in Acts chapter 9 and verse number 36. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds which she did. How would you like to be described as being full of good works and alms deeds? That's Dorcas. That's Tabitha. That's her testimony. In Acts chapter number 10 and verse number 2, Cornelius gave much alms to the people. And by the way, you want to hear something spectacular. This is before Cornelius was saved. Cornelius, I believe for the right reason, was giving alms, much alms to the people. And then how about the ultimate example for us, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in Acts chapter number 10 and verse number 38, the Bible says, as uh, Peter's preaching, he says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Now get this. Who went about doing good. What did Jesus do here on this earth? He went about doing good. And healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. Beloved. I could go on and on and on this morning as it relates to scriptural examples of people that were involved in in living a life that was marked by performing acts of service and good works and giving of alms to others. And Jesus is our ultimate example. He went about doing good. If you were to describe your life here on this earth, could you say, I just want to go about doing good. I'm not trying to become rich. I'm not trying to make a name for myself. I just want to go about doing good. I just want to help those who are less fortunate. I just want to help the fatherless and the widow. I just want to help those that have had such atrocities and crimes perpetrated upon them here that you and I don't even think about those things. Well, I do. But that's because of what I do. How is your life characterized? Jesus is getting to the crux of the matter this morning. Hey, it is assumed that we are performing acts of service. We have scriptural example after example. And I said this earlier, and I bring this point home now. We are saved for the expression of good works and acts of service. That is why we are saved. We have this idea that, well, you know, I'm primarily saved so I can escape hell. That is a byproduct of the salvation that the Lord has bestowed upon us. We are saved, as Brother Victor preached the last time he was here, we are saved for the honor and glory of the Lord and and, and for His name's sake. As a, as a benefit, we will not spend an eternity in hell. Jesus has paid for our sins. 
But then what are we supposed to do here on this earth? Oh, my life has no purpose. <laughs> Maybe you're not looking at the right things. <coughs> I always enjoy this. <clears throat> and, you know, I'm, I'm getting to that age. I'm not old, Aaron. Uh, I am old. Uh, well, Steve said you, you were here for all the old people. <laughs> no, I am old. I admit it. But I, I, this, this tickles me. Like, you know, I'll be talking to somebody about retiring. And I've made it clear. I'm ready to go. Like, I, 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 have, I have other duties <laughs> other than my secular job, right? Not like I sit around and do nothing, okay? I pastor the church, right? Uh, but it tickles me where people say, well, yeah, but what are you, you going to do when you retire? Are you kidding me? You can't find any good works or acts of service to be involved in. Seriously, I can think of a hundred. Give me the time to do it. <laughs> Turn me loose, right? You know, so, so we're saved for the expression of good works and acts of service. I remind you of what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 2 verse 10. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's the purpose for which we are saved. We are created unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. That's God's purpose. That we walk in good works. That we, like Jesus, go about doing good. That we, like Dorcas, are full of good works and alms deeds. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, just one chapter prior to our text verses, the Lord says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Again, He assumes that we're going to be involved in acts of service or good works. And so, hey, don't be a turkey person. But you know, at least the turkey person is involved in the act of service. They're given, right? We too ought to be involved in the acts of service. And then secondly, notice the second contemplation. The inducement to the act of service. The inducement. What induces you to serve? What motivates you or persuades you to good works or to the acts of service? Now in our text here, <coughs> we see some rather unsavory inducements to service, do we not? We see first of all in these verses the inducement to the act of service, which I'll call pomp and circumstance. Pomp and circumstance. This term, pomp and circumstance, and if you're in the military, you would recognize this term. It is believed to have been invented by none other than William Shakespeare. And uh, literally what it means is an impressive formal activity or ceremony. I can remember my days of the military where I would emcee a retirement ceremony for some of my people that were retiring. And man, you know, it's like the president's coming in. You know, we got the people marching in and the, the honored guests and the party there, you know, and we're, you know, talking about, uh, you know, hey, this is not proper for jocularity to take place. This is a solemn time. We're recognizing the service of so-and-so. 
and uh, it's pomp and circumstance. It's very formal and official. We're honoring somebody during that pomp and circumstance, right? Now watch. Look at look at verse number one. <clears throat> Take heed that ye do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Jesus is talking about people that were involved in acts of service for the pomp and circumstance to be seen of men. The words here, to be seen, literally in the Greek mean to behold, to look upon, to view attentively, to contemplate, and it was often used of public shows. It was also used of important persons that are looked on with admiration. You get the idea, don't you? These people were giving their alms so they could be looked upon and be the center of attention, to be looked upon with admiration. Why do you do what you do? I could well ask this morning, you could ask me, preacher, why do you preach? Pomp and circumstance? Why, why, why do the ladies serve? Why does Jim usher and take care of the, the finances and so forth? Why does Brother Steve lead the singing and Aaron plays the piano? Is it for pomp and circumstance? Are we serving for the right motivation? Is our inducement to serve proper? Or is it that, you know what, we're really a turkey person? We're doing it for the pomp and circumstance to be seen of men. Now, it would be one thing if it was only mentioned in verse number 1. But I want you to notice verse number 2. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues, and in the streets. Now watch. Why do they do that? That they may have glory of men. It's all about them. The words that they may have glory, you may recognize this Greek word. <clears throat> it's doxadso. We sing the doxology. Do we not? It's about praise. It literally, that word doxadso means to make renowned or to render illustrious. It means to cause dignity and worth of some person or thing to become made known, manifest, and acknowledged. Like, oh, Brother Mel preaches, and so, so people will come up afterwards and say, Oh, brother, what a wonderful message. I've never heard a message like that. You're the best, Brother Mel. Uh, first of all, that doesn't happen. But secondly, I don't want it to happen. No preacher worth their salt is preaching for the applause of men. Why do you do what you do? Do you do it like these hypocrites that the Lord is talking about? They only do it to have glory of men. And then as if that weren't enough, we're going to go outside of our text verses, but in verse number 5 where Jesus shifts his attention to prayer, notice verse number 5. And when thou prayest, and that's an entirely different message, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets. Why? That they may be seen of men. Now this phrase, that they may be seen, is a different phrase than in verse number 1 where it says to be seen. This phrase means to bring forth into the light to cause to shine, to shed light. Literally, it means that, you know, they're the, they're the shining star. Oh, everybody, look at, look at 
Look at how brother so-and-so prays in public. He's all of that and more. And that's why they do it. So that they will receive that glory. <clears throat> Are you serving either God or your fellow man for pomp and circumstance? I tell you what, Hollywood makes me sick. And you, you'll probably recognize this, uh, what I'm about to mention, but a couple weeks ago, over a dozen activists, celebrities, and legislatures, le legislators, including the actress Cynthia Nixon, who, by the way, if you know who Cynthia Nixon is, I hope you don't know her from her most popular show, Sex in the City. That's not something, I've, I've never seen an episode of that, and I hope you haven't either. It's not something we, as the people of God, should be watching. But Cynthia Nixon was one of these. And non-binary Oklahoma Representative Maury Turner was part of this gathering. And they gathered outside the White House. And of course we know about this because the cameras were there. And the press was there. And they gathered outside the White House to kick off a five-day hunger strike to force a ceasefire in Gaza. Now, of course, Cynthia Nixon is so important that she couldn't do the full five days, and so she committed to the two-day hunger strike. Why do we know about this? If this is being done for the right reason, why is it that all the press is there, and you might well substitute their names for the word hypocrites in Matthew chapter number 6. They're doing it to be seen of men. You ever see or hear about these Hollywood people, you know, and they're, they're going to go spend one night with the homeless. What a farce. They're turkey people. They don't care about those homeless people. They care about the publicity that they're getting from the homeless people or from the plight of the homeless people. Listen, Jesus is very clear. If our inducement to the act of service is pomp and circumstance, you know what we are? We're a hypocrite. We're a hypocrite. Now, what are some other reasons that we're induced to the act of service? Well, there's pomp and circumstance, but secondly, and this also would be an improper reason, personal satisfaction. Isn't this what Coach Courtney said that the young man told him about? You know, they brought the turkeys and the gifts and so forth. Why? So it would make them feel good. So they could feel like they did something good. Now look, don't get me wrong. When you are involved in acts of service and almsgiving, a byproduct of that is that it should make you feel good in the sight of God, that you are doing what God wants you to do. But you don't do it for your own personal satisfaction. Do you know that a lot of parents with their adult kids do what they do, not because they care about helping their adult kid, but because they want to ride in on the white horse and be Superman and rescue the day because of the way that it makes them feel, not because of what it does to the kids. And by the way, I'll get off and chase a rabbit right now, but you know, sometimes the best action with your adult kids is to do what the father of the prodigal son did. And what was that? Nothing. You go rescue them every time that they're down. And oh, here comes mom to the rescue. Oh, it's super mom. She's superhero. She's coming to the rescue again. 
and it makes her feel good and it accomplishes absolutely nothing other than to make the child dependent on the parent. Now that isn't the case always, I'm generalizing, but we do it because it makes us feel better, our own personal satisfaction. I refer to it as the Superman complex. I know I could name name names of people right now that do that kind of stuff. They ride in with their kids and they get to sacrifice their retirement and everything else to help their kids. They're not doing it because they love their kid. They're doing it because of how it makes them feel. It is personal satisfaction. But here's the right reason we should do it. Here's the right reason we should be involved in acts of service. And that is that we have a proper spirit. A proper spirit. Now, do you know Jesus describes the proper spirit here in Matthew chapter number 6, verses 3 and 4. Now, watch verses 3 and 4. He writes here, but when thou doest thine when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth. What does that mean? He's contrasting the proper spirit in acts of service to that of the hypocrite. The hypocrite rolls out the carpet and the royal band is there and the trumpeter, you know, sounds out the procession. Da, 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 da. And now presenting to you Mr. So-and-so who gladly gives his alms for the relief of the poor. Now compare that or con- contrast that to how Jesus says we're supposed to give our alms. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand's doing. Like I'm looking over here, my right hand's over here, I'm just that's the attitude that I have. How what's he talking about? He explains what he's talking about in verse number four that thine alms may be in secret. That we don't do it for everybody to see that we might receive some type of glory from men. We're talking about the inducement to the act of service. The inducement to the act of service, the proper inducement, is a proper spirit before the Lord. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Luke. (coughs) Luke chapter number 14. I need to hurry along here because we still have a little bit to cover. Notice how I say a little bit because I don't want to say a lot. Thereby destroying your spirit and causing you to tune out. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, call not thy friends nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again and a recompense be made thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. We'll stop there at verse 13. Uh, why, why, why is Jesus saying call them? Because they can't recompense. They can't do anything for you. In fact, look at verse 14 now. And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee. Do you know that oftentimes the good works that we do and the acts of service that we do... We strategically do it for others that can do something for us. They can recompense. Jesus says, when you have a supper, don't call the mayor or the governor or anyone else. Call the poor or the lame. Jesus was accused of being a friend of sinners and publicans. Why? Because he called them to dinner. He had dinner with them. Those are the people that he came to say. Not the righteous in their own eyes. Malcolm Forbes who published Forbes magazine and was a state senator in New Jersey, he famously said, you can easily judge the character of a man by how he treats those who can do nothing for him. 
See, when you're kind and compassionate to those that can't do anything for you, that says something about your character. Oh, you're kind to the CEO. You're kind to the boss. Big deal. Are you going to be rude to the boss and get fired? No, you have your own self-preservation in mind. But when you're kind to the person who takes your trash out and can't do anything for you, that says something about your character. It talks about the motivation that you have, the inducement to the act of service. What's your inducement to the act of service? And then we move on to the third contemplation. The illumination on the act of service. Now, what your motivation is, nobody will probably know. Except God. God will know. God will bring to light why we did the act of service. God is going to bring that out. Now that leads us first of all to consider that our motivation for being involved in the act of service, our inducement to the act of service, it will be revealed. It's going to be revealed. You say, well, nobody knows my heart. One day it's going to be revealed. Listen to this. God will expose the truth. If I am preaching today so that I think that somehow you all will laud me with all kinds of public praise and, and so forth and so on, uh, God will expose that. God will expose the truth. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 4 and verse number 5. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. In other words, when Jesus comes, He's going to bring to light the hidden things of darkness, and He's going to make known the counsels, or that Greek word literally means purposes. So if you are a turkey person, because you love the praise of man, or it makes you feel good inside, and you could care less about the people that you're helping, God is going to expose that truth. Do you understand that? Does that not cause us to, to, to conduct some introspective survey of why it is that we serve? Our motivation or our inducement is going to be revealed. God will expose the truth. And when's that going to happen? It's going to transpire at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we preached on... In fact, it was last week when we preached on the Lord God Omnipotent out of Revelation chapter number 19. And the setting there in Revelation 19 is the marriage supper of the Lamb. There are a couple of events that are going to take place after the Lord returns to take us back to be with Him, right? So I am a, I am a pre-tribulation rapture guy. I don't believe the saints of God that are saved are going to go through the tribulation. So I believe that the Lord is going to return in two phases. The first phase, He's going to return in the clouds. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verses 13 through 18. And He's going to call us who are alive to come back to be with Him. And that's called the rapture. And those that are dead and already uh, uh, their bodies are already deceased and dead, wherever they be, God's going to resurrect those bodies and we're going to go up to be with the Lord. The tribulation period is going to be a seven-year period with two three-and-a-half-year divisions. 
In the first three and a half years, it's going to be a period of great peace and prosperity. The second three and a half is going to be great turmoil and war and evil like the world has not known. Now, when we are called out and we go to be with the Lord at the first appearance of the Lord, okay, you know what's going to happen during that time frame? The marriage supper of the Lamb is going to take place. Who's the Lamb? Who's the, the, the bride? The New Testament church. And what else is going to happen is the judgment seat of Christ is going to take place. And at that judgment seat of Christ, our works are going to be evaluated. Now watch. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now this is not a general judgment. This is not the great white throne judgment where the lost are going to be judged by God. This is a judgment where the saints of God are going to appear before the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, and he is going to evaluate what we have done here on this earth And it's going to be based upon our inducement to service and our motivation to service. What did we do? Oh, I did many great things. Why did you do them? Why did you do them? See, that's all part of the judgment seat of Christ. And so so when we're talking about illumination on the act of service, our motivation is going to be revealed. And secondly, we may receive reward. Now, what is the only reward that the Lord talks about here in Matthew chapter number 6 for the hypocrites? The applause and glory of man. He says they have their reward. That's, all, that's the only reward that they're going to get. You think about all these athletes and all these actors that are past their prime. I just saw recently this past week where Ryan O'Neal passed away, right? 82 years old. Man, I can, I'm so old that I remember when Ryan O'Neal was the heartthrob. You guys remember that? He's in love story, and oh man, it's Ryan O'Neal, and then he's he's married to Farrah Fawcett, and oh, he has the applause of everybody. And, oh, he's the he's the the the, the most uh, handsome man on the face of the earth. Not when he was eighty-two. Fame is fleeting. The glory of man does not last forever. One day it's you getting the glory. The next day it's your neighbor getting the glory. What have you done for me lately? Jesus said they have their reward. The hypocrite has a reward. It's the applause of man and it is fleeting. But you know what? Those of us that want to honor God and be involved in acts of service with a proper spirit and for the right reason, we may receive rewards here on this earth. There may be earthly rewards. In Matthew chapter number 6, I want you to notice what the Lord says in verse number 4. In Matthew 6 and verse number 4, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. The word openly there means publicly or manifestly or to make known. Do you know that God may reward you here on this earth for your acts of service? I say may. Because there's no guarantee that he will. God is sovereign like we talked about last week. And, and you know, two people can be serving the Lord it, it, uh, properly and appropriately and He blesses one with wealth and he, he makes the other a beggar in the sight of men. That's God's 
it's entirely in God's purview to do that. The book of Proverbs sheds some light. In Proverbs 19, verse 17, uh, Solomon writes, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. That could be during your earthly stay here. But if it's not on your earthly stay, then I will tell you that you will, if you're serving God, and you're involved in acts of service, and the proper inducement has led you to be involved in acts of service, when the Lord illuminates your acts of service, you will be rewarded in eternity. You will. We don't do it for that, but that's just the fact of the matter. Luke 14, we read those verses a few moments ago. Luke 14, verses 12 through 14. And listen to verse 14 again. And thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. That's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. We'll be recompensed. And then I'll close with these verses. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. Could not speak about the Lord illuminating our motivations for acts of service and judgment for the acts that we perform here on this earth without looking at, at 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verses 11 through 15. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. Now, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, and I might say here we could add the word or, not that we need to add to the word of God, but just by explanation sake, or wood, hay, stubble. Every man's work shall be made manifest. It's going to be made known. For the day shall declare it because it shall be revealed by fire. Now watch. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Was it a good work? Was it an act of service? Why did you perform it? Notice verse 13. Or verse, yes, verse, verse 14. I'm sorry. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burnt, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. The judgment seat of Christ is not an event where the Lord is going to chastise us. He's going to evaluate and hand out rewards. And you know what you're going to do with those rewards? You're going to cast them at the feet of Christ. And you, some, some of you may have a lot. Because you were involved in acts of service and you were induced properly. You did it with a proper spirit and for the right reason. And some may have little. Well, they did all of this. But they did it for the wrong reason. They were, forgive me, a turkey person. Don't be a turkey person. Serve God. Serve your fellow man. Do it for the right reason. We looked at three contemplations to prevent us from becoming a turkey person. Our involvement in the act of service, the inducement to the act of service, and the illumination on the act of service. Let us this afternoon contemplate the words of Jesus Christ. Let us be pleasing unto our Lord. Let's pray.